Let me pray, and we'll dive into James and see what the Lord has for us. Father, thank you for today. Father, give us the grace and the mercy to see that you've called us and forgiven us and equipped us to live under a law of liberty, not to a moral code or even a theology. Father, help us see that the things that we espouse to be as Christians, those things have a name, and those things have breathed and walked and taught and died and risen again, and those things are encapsulated in who you sent Jesus. Help me and help us to see him well and change our hearts. Form us and shape us to those who would declare from the rooftops, mercy triumphs over judgment. Help us see that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we glossed over it. Last week we talked a lot about favoritism. Ultimately, what do we get to? Discrimination. How many of you think discrimination is a good idea? Thank you. We don't have to pray for that. It's not. And James showed us why it wasn't in the church. He said, especially in the church, in the beginning of chapter 2, do not show favor to those who appear to have outward wealth. Do not disparage those who appear to have no wealth. And then he makes a real practical analogy. We love James. Isn't it those who have appeared to have outward wealth the ones who take you to court and ransack you anyways? That's kind of what he wraps it up with. And then we cued in, you can go ahead, James 2, 12. Then he charges us. And remember who James is. James is a pastor. He knows the ins and outs. He's been in the trenches with Christians for a long time in and around Jerusalem. And he is commentating, I believe, on the Sermon on the Mount because he was Jesus' half-brother. And if you read the whole Bible in that view, you go, oh, bing, 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 bing. And he said, people, Christians, speak and act as those are to, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Next verse. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Jesus actually says something similar four times in the Gospels. We don't like that. Especially Western, somewhat educated, which we all are, if we go around the world as far as academia, right? Theological, and we all have a basic, basic theology, it's what we believe about God. In systematic things, we know, especially from writings like Paul and Peter, that we are saved by grace alone. Salvation is a gift. Amen. But the dance, the waltz that the Lord has taught us is, you can call yourself saved, you can call yourself not, but the litmus test is, when you are living life, and when you are disparaging judgment, if you are not showing as much mercy as you can, that's when we have to check our hearts and go, where, where am, where's my heart? So James, I'm going to say, re-ups the teachings of Jesus and says, if you're walking around with the bumper sticker and the t-shirt and the systematic theology memorized and the hymns or contemporary music in your house, if your Bible is really big, you know, got those? If you got the right pictures, if you know the right verses, but you're walking around like one who shows no mercy, let's come to the cross and discuss some things. Because the interesting part is, you know the word Jesus never said in the recorded scriptures? Anyone want to guess? What, what never came out of Jesus' mouth according to the gospel writers? Or the apostles, because some of them quote him. Money did. Heaven did, hell did, 
women did, how to treat them. The word we translate for grace never came out of his mouth. Isn't that weird? Never did. Go Google it, I swear. Go check it out this week. Why did he never speak the word grace? I would deduce because the grace of God was walking around in sandals. And ultimately, even when we'll get to hear at the end of the sermon, even, even biblical words can be cheap, but when we see what it is, living, breathing, touching, forgiving, dying, raising, it makes our hearts explode. There's a whole nother reality when we go, that's the grace and pardon of God in sandals and a tunic. He's not just saying very poetic things. So that's interesting. The grace of God walked around as a man, taught people what the kingdom of God was like for many reasons, ultimately to show that he is a saving God. He bore sins of the world at Calvary, and then his father to show, we're the real deal, folks, rose him from the dead. He hung around for 40 days, and he gave, via his spirit, many things for us to learn. And one of the things, Christians, mercy triumphs over judgment. How many of us like that? I don't like it. I'm a pastor. I like judgment, especially when I'm right. Facebook likes judgment, because Facebook's always right, just depending on your source. I could make an argument from articles alone that Donald Trump is the worst president in the history of the United States, or the best president, just I'll just give you the source. I could make an argument from article alone, Hillary Clinton was the worst candidate in the history of the world or the best. I'll, just, I'll show you the articles. We live in a world of judgment. And I'm going to tell you, we have to judge some things as people. I've said it many times, as a husband, as a parent, as a pastor, I have to make judgments. But I'm commanded to do so with all the mercy I can, with all the grace I can. And this is how Jesus walked the earth. Knowing the destruction was coming, walking down to his death, we'll celebrate in a few weeks, he sees Jerusalem. And what does our Lord do? Fire's coming, you wicked people. Oh, how I long to gather you. Like a mother gathers the chicks and love you, but you refuse. Until the last dying breath, what was Jesus' mantra even on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. This was the grace of God living and breathing and walking around. we got to see this, and this is James' commentary. Real quick, James brackets favoritism and discrimination. He aligns it in the beginning of... Chapter 2 with adultery and murder, it's all the same. Sin is sin. But go back to James 1.25. After we saw trials and John and the worship team sang that special song and it was about trials and I thank God for that because that's the framework. But he says this, James 1.25. In our battle of doubt, in our battle with anger when trials come, in our battle with comparison, in our battle with self, James reminds us, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. What was our takeaway three, years, three weeks ago? The law of liberty has a name. What's his name? Jesus. Okay? And perseveres, being what? No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. On my paramedic internship, 
19 years ago, I told you about my boy, uh, my first preceptor, Marty. The first rule in the ambulance was, first night, I worked a night shift in San Jose, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m., brutal, on a new marriage. Were we married? Barely. Forgive me, that was rough to put you through. Hey, Dave, good to be here. Do as I say, not as I do. That was his first rule. How well do you think that relationship went? See, a moral code, even at times Old Testament code and law, abstract and by itself, can lead to great damage for those who refuse it and those who are trying to live by it. That's who we are as people. That's why from the beginning, God was to bring forth himself as the true law of liberty, fulfilling the Old Testament and giving this new and living law, the law of liberty himself, Jesus, to say, go and follow him. So my first paramedic internship didn't end well. I was nose to nose with Marty in July, San Jose Medical Center, almost fighting for lots of reasons, some of them my own fault. I got a new preceptor, and his name was Kevin. I mentioned him before, and he said, Dave, first day, I will never ask you to do something I haven't done or won't do with you. So God in grace... Throughout history, knew a day was coming when he would send himself as Jesus to say, you guys couldn't live up to that code. It was given for a few reasons to point out, one, that you can't live up to the code. Two, to look for someone who will come. Jesus comes and says, brother, sister, walk with me. I will lead you. I will die for you. And that's why this law of liberty is not an abstract set of rules for the Christian. It's rather an example, a man who lived and died and rose for us, who taught us, and you know what his invitation has always been? Come and follow me. I will lead you. So look at the two parallels. We see this, and then James, go to uh, 2.12 again. I know it's, next one. James brackets favoritism, discrimination. We could even get close to racism with this understanding of the law of liberty. Why would James do that? James has a reason. He has a purpose. He's not off in some trance jotting things down. He's a pastor, and he's trying to form and shape people. I think because favoritism, we can stream pride in other things. Favoritism or partiality or discrimination is at the root, can be, of every human heart. It's natural. It's natural for me to show more attention if someone pulls in the white zone next week in a Lamborghini Diablo than if someone shows up in a 14-year-old Honda. My natural heart says what? I better go talk to the husband and wife who just rolled up in the $500,000 car. That's my natural tendency. It's my natural tendency to play favorites with many different things in the world. If we dig deep enough, you could probably at least step towards it as well. And what does James say? That's the natural way of living. Jesus has prescribed a new and better way, a way that leads to life, a narrow road. Treat others as you wish to be what? Carol, when you walk into the bank, do you want the bank person to play favorites? No. You want to be treated just like everyone else, with dignity and respect. 
Lisa, I can pick on you. When you walk into the store, do you want someone to play favorites with you? Lisa goes, well, if they favor, no, no, no. But the, but the point is, no. So James brackets this in his writing and teaching with this understanding of we have a new law. It's a living law. It's a law of liberty. Okay, pastor, how do we live unto the law of liberty? Good question. Use your brain in church. Don't ever switch off. As I said, the grace of God has showed us. The hard part for some of us is there's no four spiritual laws or checklist to live out under the law of liberty. We don't like that because most of us like to be told what to do. Ultimately, so when it doesn't work, what can we do? It's their fault. It's true. But let's read about this man who walked around, who ushered in the kingdom, who forgave sinners, and let's let the Holy Spirit have sway over the next few minutes to show us the pardon of God in sandals, the grace of God coming to earth, the law of liberty to form us so we can be people who discern, live, and judge, not without mercy, but with mercy. Be agents of mercy. John chapter 8, I'm just going to read. You can follow along up here or flip in your Bibles. John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him. Read your Bibles. How many people? It literally means all types of people. Rich, poor, light-skinned, dark-skinned, religious, not religious, kind, angry, Humble, proud. They rolled up. Why would they come to Jesus? Think about it. Use your brains. If Donald Trump showed up at Redwood City Hall, all the people wouldn't come to meet with him. Half the country would. If Hillary Clinton showed up to Sequoia Station for coffee, all the people wouldn't come to meet with her. Half the people would. What I'm trying to get to you is Jesus and his teaching and ushering the kingdom he was attracting all types of people because he was the pardon of God, the mercy of God, walking around the earth doing, yes, miracles. People came to so, oh my gosh, let me post that. That was awesome. Water to wine, whatever he just did. But he was attractive to the human heart. And what was he doing? Next verse. This is good. John 8, 3. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught, caught in adultery Placing her in the midst. Jesus was basically, scripture and a couple other resources tell us, he was teaching about the kingdom. What was he teaching? About forgiveness, about grace, about God the Father, about lying. He was teaching the things he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. That was his stump speech, as I've told you. He was ushering in the good news. It was good news, by the way. And all of a sudden, the religious folks show up with a woman who was caught in adultery. If any of you know the story, she was probably baited and switched and set up to become adulterous. Not that she wasn't, not guilty. She was guilty. But this was a ploy. So Jesus is having a good old kumbaya fest and teaching people about the kingdom of God. And some of his adversaries show up and go, look who we found. Look at her. That shows you their motive. And this shows you the amazing law of liberty in action. We have a few accounts, so I can't read the rest. You, most of you know the story. What does Jesus do? Let me post this and send it to Politico and I'll get the first story here. This woman was caught in adultery. Let me capture this and 
put breaking with asterisks and go, here we go. He simply calmly, coolly, knowing what's going on. You got to love Jesus. Don't pick a fight with Jesus. You're not ready to lose. Starts writing some things on the ground. Then he stands up and says, you who've never sinned, pick up the first stone. Because they are demanding her death under the law of Moses. He writes some more things down. Who knows? Don't know. Don't get off on the rabbit trail of what was being written. See the pardon of God in action. See the law of liberty working. See mercy and not just judgment. Some of the older ones, some of the wiser ones in the body go, he's got me on that one. I sinned this morning. And everyone leaves, and he looks down at this young woman, probably trembling. Is anyone here to condemn you? No. I neither condemn you, but then he gives mercy. Don't do this anymore. This leads to death. Stop this. We got to see that as mercy. We got to see that as liberating. For whatever reason, this woman is doing things that weren't glorifying God or good for her, and he says, don't do it, but you're not going to die today. Amazing. This is how the law of liberty operates. It's not a moral code. It's not written on tablet and paper alone. It's a living, breathing God who is here to pardon and proclaim the good news. Matthew chapter 8. Verse 1, let's see the law of liberty in action so we can understand and be okay being judged in that. That's our passage in James. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Duh. If he was making bread and wine and fish and loaves, we'd be there too. But they were seeking. Verse 2, Matthew 8. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You know what the moral code and the abject law was at the time Jesus did that? If you touch a leper, you are unclean for at least seven days. (laughs) As we preached some months ago, Jesus fulfilled the law. He ushered in the law of liberty by breaking the moral code, per se. See this. You probably won't cleanse a leper with a touch this week. Maybe you will. But I want your heart to be formed. Jesus is going to the places that are hard to go and doing the things that are not accepted in society, even under the moral code, Don't go get thrown in jail for something crazy this week. Pastor didn't say that. But be led by the Spirit and be an agent of mercy, being freed to live under liberty. What is the kindest thing that could have been done for that leper, even if he wasn't healed that day? A human touch. He may have not have been touched for decades. Because if Vin had leprosy, he doesn't. And I touched him. My position is the temple is in doubt now. And my favoritism, because I've worked so hard to get it, would be frowned upon. This is the law of 
liberty in action. I gave you the rest of the passage, but we're cruising. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. Jesus on the move, Jesus in action. The one James wrote about being this law of liberty does this. While he was speaking, Mark 5, 35, there came from a ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. By the way, in Mark's gospel, someone with the issue of blood just touched Jesus, and that was breaking code too. Even if, even if someone touched you, it was like, oh, okay. But it was okay. Jesus kept going. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? That's compassionate. I'm in a conversation with a doctor, and someone comes to me and says, your daughter's dead. The doctor has better things to do. Verse 36, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except who? Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing. Has anybody ever been in a small, confined space with people viscerally wailing, if that's a word? Just a gut carnal reaction when something tragic happens? It's not demonic, I don't want to freak you out, but the sound is soul piercing because grief is open bare, and everything per se that has gone wrong with the world in God's sovereignty and wisdom is laid open. And you see sorrow and anger and frustration and doubt all wrapped up together, and not to get overly spiritual, that's where Satan does thrive. And even in the first century, at times people would hire people, if they didn't have enough family, to do this because it was an act of mourning. People wanted people to know, we are saddened. Our house has suffered a loss. So this is happening. Next verse, 37. Sorry, 36. 30, did, I, did I miss one? You're right. I'll go with you. 39. And when he had entered, he said to them, drought's over, by the way, we are making a commotion and weeping the child is not dead, but, or why are you making all this commotion? The child's not dead, but sleeping. Verse 40, and they laughed at him. So what did Jesus do? He strolled into where the 12-year-old girl was. He took her by the hand and said what? Get up. So Jesus, again, fulfills the code by breaking the law written on tablet to raise a girl from the dead. Because Jesus is ushering in the kingdom, the pardon of God, the good news of the gospel, which is good news, by instituting the law of liberty. That's what he's doing. And many of you know the final little blip. Luke 23, verse 33. We will celebrate this in more entirety in about... Six weeks, five weeks, Luke 23, 33, and when they came to the place called what? Golgotha, the skull, they crucified him. 
and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Verse 34, Jesus said from the gate, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what is going on. They don't know what they're doing. They cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, and they basically mocked him over the next few verses. They said things like this. Verse 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Verse 38, I'll preach louder because the heavens have opened. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals, verse 39, who were hanged, railed at him. I love the English standard right there, railed at him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The guy basically said, I'm here, and if you find a way to save yourself, give a lookout for me. And you know what happens. The other criminal, with a bit of contrition, and we would say repentance, say, don't mock him. We're meant to be here. We've committed the crime. He hasn't. And what does the law of liberty say to him? What does the living gospel say to him? Today, you will be with me. That's the grace of God. Unveiled for the world to see. This is what James is commentating on, and he asks us to live in such a way. We'll close with this. We're almost done. James 2, verse 12. Let's see it one more time. In light of a brief, and I mean brief, if you want more of this Jesus, read your Gospels, read your Bible. You will see heaven unveiled and you will see the pardon of God walking forth in every situation. James says, in light of the gospel, in light of Jesus coming, in light of him living and teaching and showing and dying and being raised, speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Why would James say that? James was a pastor. He knew people. He knew his own heart. We are the most insecure creatures on the earth, us humans. We are insecure about everything. Just get honest with yourself and you will know this to be true. And God invites us in our insecurity and in our frailty to come before the law of liberty, arms open wide at the foot of the cross to say what? Father, forgive me, commission me, cleanse me, and show me how to live. Every other place and every other fabric, even sometimes with our spouse whom we love dearly, we can rarely say, here's all my insecurities. Says, what's the fear? The hammer. The hammer. From your boss, from your spouse, maybe from religious folks, from pastors. Lots of healing people in the pews of churches who've been hammered by religious folks. But when we come before our Lord in humble faith, kind of like the prayer we saw up here, Father... We're met with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we're commissioned not to live by our insecurities, but to be what? Formed by God, to live under the law of liberty. So that when we are before him, like that song, I'm good to be judged by the law of liberty. Bring it on, because he's good and kind. And he's commissioned me and saved me and loved me. And I've served him. We're not earning our way to heaven. We're rather obeying the gospel. Do I have to do things to get to heaven? Yes and no. We're going to see this next week. 
It's this whole thing about faith and works, James 2. John Calvin had a huge problem with it. Luther was freaking out about a bit of it too. We'll try and get there. Because James literally says, if you don't do some works, you're not saved. So we're going to wrestle with that. Come back to church, right? And we'll see what that gets. But the point is, James is telling us, be free people to live and act just like your Savior did. Where his proclamation You know what the real proclamation of Calvary is? Mercy triumphs, not judgment. You're to be judged, mercy has come. You are free because of him. And that's the good news that we share. That's when we come to communion. This is simply a representation of all that Jesus has done to bring us into the Father's house. He broke his body and shed his blood to not be like my preceptor, uh, do as I say, not as I do, but to be one who would call, follow me. I've gone to the cross and the grave. I've been resurrected. I've raised you to a new creation. Now follow me. As the music team comes up, I'm going to remind you again, we're going to play one song. We're passing the elements differently. If you need some help for the elements, good. We'll take our time. We'll remember the Lord. At the end, we'll take communion together. I'll lead us. And then, if the Lord wills, we'll run over the courtyard without getting absolutely demolished. And we'll have fellowship. We'll say hi. We'll encourage one another on. Let me pray as the music team comes up, and we'll celebrate communion. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this small passage of Scripture, which led to bigger passages of Scripture, which showed us this one, this man who was the pardon of God, the grace of God walking in sandals, this law of liberty, this law of love. Father, encourage us to be likewise, not lost in sensationalism or miracles per se, but encourage us to be people who would be living and writing and texting and calling and showing that mercy has triumphed over judgment. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his body. In Jesus' name, amen.